Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Dohoko and Figile Lungwati. In our top stories... Kenya's president says Supreme Court election ruling was a coup and Zimbabwe's president Robert Mugabe mocks U.S. President Donald Trump. In economics news, South African Reserve Bank leaves repo rate unchanged and in sports news, South Africa qualified for the Kosafa Women's Championships final. But first up, the news with Dan Musa. Very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta has described the Supreme Court ruling that annulled his victory as a judicial coup that stole democracy from the people. On Wednesday, a detailed Supreme Court ruling indicated that the Electoral Commission had committed illegalities and irregularities by running an election that was not transparent and verifiable. Kenyatta faces a rerun next month after the opposition successfully challenged the August 8 vote, which he won. In a televised address, the visibly angry Kenyatta attacked the judges. As a consequence, I hold our steadfast position that the will of the people of Kenya was subverted by our courts. The Supreme Court owes Kenyans an explanation on how such a monstrous injustice could have taken place. Not only did the judgment rob the Kenyan people of their democratic right as exercised on August 8th, but it also now has the potential to throw our country into judicial chaos. Seventeen people have been wounded after hundreds of youth went on the rampage in a mining town in Guinea. The youth have burnt down a police station and set fire to other public buildings. Reports from the town, which is in the Boke district, say this follows clashes between security forces and demonstrators armed with clubs. Local people say they haven't benefited from the region's mineral wealth. Former Member of Parliament of South Africa's ruling ANC, Marco Sikosa, says her next step will be to focus on fighting corruption. Koza, who announced a resignation from the party in Parliament, has continued to speak out against the governing party. She says the party wanted to get rid of her and has accused its leaders of lacking principle. Koza has emphasized that she has no intention of starting a political party. It would be naive of me to think I can simply wake up and establish a party without first appreciating what failed Akhang, what failed COPE, and what failed UDM, what failed all these smaller Nyana parties that came up. South Africa's ambassador to Germany is confident that elections in the European country will go smoothly this weekend. Stone Cesano was speaking in Berlin ahead of Sunday's vote, in which Chancellor Angela Merkel is widely tipped to win a fourth term. The steady hand supports uh, the ability 
courtesy of the people here to do that freely without any interference. And uh, as observers and uh, guests to the country, we observing it with uh, interest. Well, yeah, we are having very good relations with the Germans. And finally, at least 15 people have died and 20 others are missing in the Dominic- in Dominica Republic after Hurricane Maria passed through the island. The storm ripped through the Caribbean island as a Category 4 storm on Monday, damaging hundreds of homes. It later devastated Puerto Rico, leaving the whole island without power. Those are the stories. Rather, that's the news. Headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta says the country's Supreme Court staged a coup against the will of the people when it annulled his win in last month's presidential election. His remarks came on the same day that the election board announced the repeat election had been delayed until October 26. The president's criticism comes as Kenya's political temperature is heating up, reviving fears of political violence. James Shimangula has more from Nairobi. The Kenya Supreme Court's full final ruling that nullified President Uhuru Kenyatta's re-election has angered him. Kenyatta speaking to members of his ruling Jubilee Party at his official residence in Nairobi described the court's ruling as a coup against his rule. Speaking in Kiswahili, Kenyatta said four of the six judges of the Supreme Court had the audacity of nullifying his re-election after winning overwhelmingly against his main presidential challenger, Raila Odinga. Kenyatta further described the Supreme Court's verdict as a judicial dictatorship that had robbed Kenyans the power of decision-making. This was a coup. The visibly saddened Kenyatta said in Kiswahili and added, I must call it what it is, a coup. Kenyatta has a strong message to the Supreme Court's chief judge is that the court's verdict does not fit within the meaning of spirit of the Constitution. As if the descriptions he had made were not enough, Kenyatta said the judges should have ordered a recount of ballot papers that were cast by the electorate if they, the judges, were, as he put it, genuine in their push for justice. Shortly after the court's verdict, James Orengo, one of the 30 lawyers that represented Raila Odinga in the petition that nullified Kenyatta's election, addressed a press conference and said without mincing words that the powers of the president had virtually diminished. The powers that uh, the president would normally enjoy were extinguished very substantially on the 8th of August 2017 and after uh, the 8th of August he was exercising temporary powers of incubancy and the danger that we now find ourselves in is that if the elections are not held within 60 days then he will not have the constitutional authority or legitimacy to continue to be in that office.
Orengo's remarks riled Kenyatta to the extent that he had to hit back by saying he is still the president with all powers. The Kenyan leader strongly affirmed that his government is still firm. The state is intact, the government is in place and working, and we look forward to a peaceful and successful election at the date that shall be announced by the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission. Also riled by the Supreme Court's ruling was Uhuru Kenyatta's Deputy William Ruto, who brushed aside the Supreme Court's ruling and rubbished it, saying the Kenyan judiciary had ravaged the country's democracy. That is not democracy. That is tyranny of the judiciary, which has no place and is not acceptable in Kenya. That was Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto expressing dismay at the Supreme Court's affirmation of its ruling that nullified President Uhuru Kenyatta's re-election. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe has likened the United States President Donald Trump to the biblical Goliath who threatens the extinction of other countries. Zimbabwe's longtime leader was referring to President Trump's remarks that his country would destroy North Korea if forced to defend itself or its allies during an address to the same body earlier in the week. He urged the U.S. leader to embrace the values of the United Nations Charter in the promotion of peace, unity and greater dialogue. Show and Bryce Peace reports. I invite him uh, to address the assembly. It was a precarious approach to the lectern. The 93-year-old leader unsteady on his feet, but not in word, reminding the assembly that his government was a strong advocate for the sovereignty of nations. We therefore strongly defend and respect the right of each country to take decisions in exercising its sovereign rights. We cannot, however, remain silent when those decisions impact or have the potential to negatively affect our own welfare. And on this, may I say, some of us were embarrassed, if not frightened, but what appeared to be the, bib- the return of the biblical giant called Goliath. Are we having a return of Goliath to our midst who threatens the extinction of other countries? President Mugabe urged his United States counterpart to recognize the values of unity, peace, cooperation and togetherness and not the promise of damnation. Damnation we shall always resist no matter whence it comes. We have resisted it when it was in the form of imperialism as we fought for our own independence, our own culture, our own sovereignty to 
to be masters of our own destiny. That's why we call ourselves free today. It is because the monster of imperialism was defeated by us. Bring us another most monster by whatever name, he will suffer the same consequences. While referring to the 2030 agenda as a new wine, President Mugabe called on the Security Council to enforce its resolutions, particularly in relation to the situations of the peoples of Western Sahara and Palestine, expressing his country's unflinching support for Security Council reform. The overwhelming majority of us have accepted that we need to reform the current system in order to improve but not destroy it. Nonetheless, the negotiations and process intended to yield the accepted reforms are painstakingly slow. We are left to wonder, justifiably so, whether those who enjoy and sometimes abuse the power and privileges of the current setup are sincere in interlocutors in these discussions. This was the first time in many years of speeches at the General Assembly that President Mugabe did not directly call for the lifting of targeted sanctions against members of his government and inner circle. And although he clearly struggles to walk, the world's oldest head of state was still able to deliver some punches and in the process had many in the room smiling and applauding, if only at the punchlines. I'm Sherwin Bricepees in New York. The African Union has marked the International Day of Peace yesterday by inviting young people from different African states to discuss the role they can play in peace building. The discussions were at the AU headquarters in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Coletta Wanjohi was there. Emily Koiti is a medical practitioner from South Sudan. She is part of the young people who participated in the African Union discussions that challenged the youth to play a role in maintaining a culture of peace in Africa. But Emily says that the ongoing conflict in her country, for example, is derailing the future of its citizens. It's very unfortunate that I sit here and I'm talking while my leaders are currently at the the United Nations General Assembly saying we have a peaceful country. We do not have a peaceful country. Uh, I could be in a, in a suit here or I could be wearing a blazer. It's, it misrepresents the youth and the women of South Sudan because most of them are in refugee camps. Most of them are jobless. Most of them are engaged in conflict for reasons they do not know. Emily adds that the 2015 South Sudan peace agreement has failed to embrace young people to join in and bring lasting peace to South Sudan. We have an agreement that provides uh, for women representation and youth representation. The question remains whether that is meaningful. I would say it is not meaningful yet because the agreement has not been disseminated to the very people who are supposed to ensure that it's to hold the leadership that signed it accountable. Yet, ordinarily, it would be an opportunity to enhance uh, the protection of 
civilians, but also the protection against sexual and gender-based violence through, for example, Chapter 5 of the agreement that talks of the establishment of the hybrid court on South Sudan that I think the African Union has really dilly-dallied on its establishment. Mayar Ndeng, also a young man from South Sudan, says the problem with African leadership is that the government do not give priority to the young people. You know, I used to say youth are the powerful people in Africa, not even Africa in in the wide world. If youth are in power and if youth are engaged in every activity that they want to do, that activity will be a successful one. And the government, the kind of government that they involve in, will be a successful government because, after all, youth are the one who is who are having energetic, they are the one doing everything. And then Andrew Malwal, a young woman volunteering at the African Union Commission, who was also part of the discussions, adds that the only way to empower the young people is by going to the communities where they live and not concentrating on the already able ones in the cities. Uh, as youth to participate for peace building, we need to use our skills and development for us to empower our youth in the grassroots because our youth in the grassroots, so many of them we are not being able to reach them because of the, I don't know, the policies or I don't know, but uh, as a youth we have to use our skills to empower them. We have to show them that they are capable of doing a lot of things in peace buildings. Mohamed Yaya, the UNDP program coordinator for Africa, says that apart from internal conflicts, there are also other issues affecting the youth. He says this group is also affected with the challenge of recruitment into terrorist groups. What also we see in the study is that uh, the road to violent extremism is really paved by, with deprivation, marginalization, a sense of, of, of hopelessness. And when we asked most of them, what was the number one need you had before you joined Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram or anything? Most number one was jobs. Many of them will tell you I needed an opportunity. Enjoy here for Channel Africa Radio in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. 36 days to go. To the 100th birthday of the late Reginald Oliver Tambo. Hashtag Oliver Tambo 100. In 1981, at a women's conference, in the Angolan capital of Luanda, Oliver Reginald Tambo, as an advocate for gender equality, said, The mobilization of the people into active resistance and struggle for liberation demands the energies of women no less than of men as confirmation of the resolve of the South African National Liberation Movement. Former MP Member of Parliament of South Africa's ruling African National Congress, Dr. Makosi Koza, feels she feels like she had no choice but to leave the party. The outspoken politician made the announcement yesterday in Johannesburg. Among her many reasons for resigning, she says she no longer can be led by the illegitimate leadership which has allowed and tolerated corruption. Koza was facing disciplinary measures for openly admitting to voting in favor of the motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma last month. Noma Bolani reports. Although I am leaving the ANC, Addis Alien Corrupt ANC, the values that the real ANC taught me, I'm taking them with me. Those are the values of Madiba. Those values still live within me. And I will give it life again, one way or the other, for the sake of those who went before and for the sake of those to come. I therefore want to say goodbye, new alien 
and corrupt ANC. I quit. Even as she exits the party, the outspoken Makosi Kaza pulls no punches. She claimed that the ANC's promise to self-correct is nothing but talk. Kaza says even after losing three municipal metros to the opposition in 2016, there still aren't any plans to remedy the problems. She says the party is also struggling to address corruptions at all levels, whether it be in government or party structures. Koza says this has forced her to quit. If I continue with being in the ANC, I'm actually saying corruption is okay, and I don't think so. I feel so strongly that corruption is enemy number one of development and is enemy number one to Africa's prosperous path, and I am not prepared to compromise on that. So were you pushed out? I was pushed out, yes. The ANC says it will not comment on Kaza's announcements as the party has not yet received formal communication about her decision. Spokesperson Zizi Godwa. The ANC has not received intention or resignation by Makosi Kaza. When she joined the organization, she never joined the organization through a press conference. Either her branch nor parliament has not received a letter of resignation. So we are not able to comment comprehensively about her intention except what we hear through a press conference. Her organization, the ANC, has not received the letter and therefore were unable even to comment further about the intention and the reasons why she lives in that. The ANC in KZN, which has instituted a disciplinary hearing against her, has welcomed this development. Kaza noted in her announcement that she would have been kicked out of the party anyway if the DC had gone ahead. Provincial spokesperson Mdumseni Mduli. We are not surprised that uh, Comrade Makosi has decided to cut ties with the African National Congress. Essentially, we are vindicated because we saw it coming that it was inevitable. It has never happened that a member of the ANC will go so much on rampage to undermine not only the president of the ANC, but the ANC as a party and still claim to represent this this historic historic mission. On what her next plans are, Koza says she'll be out of politics for now. She has dismissed the rumors that she would join an opposition party or start her own breakaway organization. Koza explains that she wants to work with corruption-fighting organizations. The media has been writing, I mean, it's been circulating in social media that probably I'm going to be joining the DA. And I want to make it unequivocally clear that I'm not going to join the DA. I am not leaving the ANC mission. We need to draw a distinction between the ANC mission and the leaders that are now running the ANC. I don't want this year that has been declared for to go without us doing the real honor. I'm also going to be working with very closely with um, civil society organizations such as Corruption Watch, SAOC, South African Women's Collective, and many other safe South Africa and all those uh, civil society organizations. So I have a lot of work to do. And that report ended by Dr. Makosi Koza um, by Noma Bolani.
Meanwhile, South African political parties, the Freedom Front Plus and the African Christian Democratic Party have described the resignation of outspoken ANC MP Dr. Makosi Koza as a loss to Parliament. The ruling ANC, on the other hand, said it was Koza's right to resign if she felt it necessary. ANC Deputy Chief Whip Doris Tlakudi says Parliament had not received Koza's resignation letter. Abongwe Kobogane has more. Because of this resignation, it also means that automatically Koza is no longer a member of parliament. Koza, who hails from KZN, chaired the Standing Committee on Public Accounts and Financing the Provincial Legislature before heading to parliament in 2014. She served as the chair of parliament's ad hoc committee to nominate the new public protector in 2016. She also served on the ad hoc committee dealing with the SABC board inquiry. Following her public criticism of President Jacob Zuma earlier this year, she was removed as the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Service and Administration in August. She is also facing internally party disciplinary hearing for her stance in the motion of no confidence in President Zuma. Doris Lagude is the ANC deputy chief who says it is absolutely up to Koza to take a decision to call it a quit. It's a choice. So I can't speak for her. If you want the reasons, you can ask her yourself. Were you surprised? Not really. We make choices as uh, human beings, so it's a choice to resign. Conor Mulder of the FF Plus says it was quite coincidentally that Koza resigned on the same day former AU Commissioner Nkosa Zanazamine Zuma is sworn in as a member of parliament. It is a bad day for our democracy if on the same day as that Dr. Nkosim Koza basically resigns from the ANC and therefore also as a member of parliament and she's, she was one of the best members of parliament. If on the same day, Dr. Skosuzana is sworn in again as a new member of parliament. Steve Swartz of the ACDP says the work of Koza as an MP will be missed. From our perspective, she was an excellent member of parliament. I served with her on the very effective SABC inquiry, but she was undermined. And when she was chairing the portfolio committee, she was boycotted by her own members of her own party and, of course, the minister. And this left her no option following the disciplinary action that was instituted against her. So we're losing a very experienced and skilled member of parliament. At the same time, Muloto Mutapo, who is the spokesperson of parliament, said the institution has not yet received the letter of resignation. Well, uh, at the moment, we neither have the resignation from Dr. Makosukosa, nor any indication from the African National Congress regarding the status of her membership. So there is absolutely nothing that has been received by the Speaker in relation to the public announcement that has been made. That was Muloto Mutapo, spokesperson for the South African Parliament, ending that report by Abongwe Kobokana in Cape Town. South Africa has joined with the UN program on HIV and AIDS to announce a new breakthrough pricing agreement that could revolutionize the treatment and management of HIV in low to middle income countries. The agreement will accelerate the availability of the first affordable generic single pill HIV treatment regime to public sector purchases to around $75 per person per year on or around 1,000 rand annually. The new regime containing dollar 
Tegravir or DTG is recommended by the World Health Organization as an alternative first-line HIV regime. Show and Price Peace reports. It's a one-pill, once-a-day generic fixed-dose combination treatment, and the country's health minister, Dr. Aaron Matsweledi, is touting its superior therapeutic qualities. I am informed that using Tolidegrava in a fixed-dose combination will give patients, as well as the public sector, significant benefits. For the patients, Tolidegrava is a more effective ARV with fewer side effects than the drug that it replaces. That means effavirenz. It is better tolerated, which means better adherence. In addition, research suggests that it is more robust and will, tre- will decrease drug resistance. He explained that of the 3.9 million people on ARVs in South Africa, only 260,000 are treated by the private sector. The benefit for the public sector in South Africa of this new combination is that we we estimate that will have significant savings because of the lower price, uh, price compared to the current FDC, the, the current uh, fixed dose combination. We estimate that over the next six years, South Africa will potentially save up to 900 million US dollars. This is a huge saving. In South African rents, I've calculated that it means a saving was about 11 billion South African rands over the the next six years. As UNAIDS hopes to ramp up its provision of ARVs to all of the almost 37 million people infected worldwide, up from the current 19.5 million, its executive director, Dr. Michelle Sidibe, welcomed the new agreement. What we are talking about today with this uh, life-changing announcement is about the quality of medicine, but is about equity, is about the dignity, is about the access uh, uh, to medicine uh, as a human right. It is about equity, uh, and uh, we cannot afford to say that in one part of the world we'll have uh, excellent medicine, Uh, which will uh, uh, certainly uh, control uh, um, uh, the epidemic, but at the same time reduce uh, 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 resistance and make sure that we have a proper suppression of viral load. And in other part of the uh, world, we will have a medicine which are good, but uh, which uh, probably will not lead us to our objective of ending it. South Africa aims to launch a new tender for the new drug regimen in April next year. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta describes the Supreme Court ruling that Analdi's victory as a judicial coup that stole democracy from the people. Seventeen people have been wounded after hundreds of youth went on a rampage in a mining town in Guinea and at least 15 people have died and 20 others are missing in the Dominican Republic after Hurricane Maria passed through the island. Those are the stories making headlines.
Thank you. An insecurity in different provinces of the Democratic Republic of Congo has forced thousands of people to seek asylum in neighboring countries. People fleeing the recent violence and insecurity in the Kasai region, the central DRC, have been granted asylum in Angola, while those forced out by armed groups and other conflicts in Tanganyika and Kivu in the eastern side are streaming into Zambia. Jean-Noël Bamweza reports. The situation is too worrying here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where inhabitants of different provinces are victims of violence and insecurity due to several conflicts, including political and economic ones. After the Kasai traditional leader Kamwina Sapu, who tried to oppose President Joseph Kabila's regime, was killed in clashes with the National Army, his militia continued with violence and insecurity, forcing thousands of people out of this country. The Kasai region is in the center of the Democratic Republic of Congo and the closest neighboring country is Angola. That's indeed where a significant number of people have been granted asylum. The UN High Commission for Refugees has revealed that the number of Congolese refugees who entered Angola fleeing the Kamuinansapu violence in Kasai is currently 33,000, and most of them believe security is not enough in their region for them to return home. Andrea Skirkov is the communication office of the UNHCR here in the DRC. Refugees from the Kasai region, where we saw a huge wave of violence, have fled to Angola. Fortunately, the Angolan government has uh, welcomed them and given them asylum. And people still tell us they don't feel that security is sufficient to return to their areas of origin. We spoke to some um, courageous people who returned to their destroyed villages, but some of them said that in their villages in Kasai region, the situation was so bad that they went to the provincial capital of Kasai province because they just couldn't stay in their villages. Their houses were destroyed. There is a climate of mistrust also among the inhabitants, the different ethnic groups. The Congolese refugees from the Kasai region who are in Angola are being taken care of and the response of their needs coordinated by different services including the government, the UNHCR and other humanitarian actors. That's indeed what the World Food Programme representative here said. Claude Gibidar told Channel Africa there is a hope that resources to address all the needs are available as planned. The response in Angola is coordinated with the government, UNHCR and all the other actors to provide as much as possible the full range of services that refugees need, which is shelter, food, water, education for children, access to health, access to all the services that anybody would need. So that is being taken care of. We hope that they would receive enough resources to cover all of those needs, but they have all been planned accordingly. On the other side, the conflict between the Pygmies and the Bantu is still persisting in the Tanganyika province in the southeast of this country, forcing many people to cross the border on daily basis. In both the south and north Kivu provinces in the eastern DRC, dozens of armed groups, including foreign and local ones, continue to operate, committing several human rights abuses and, of course, several inhabitants do not have any other choice but to flee the area and seek asylum out of this country.
About 1,800 people have sought refuge in Zambia in less than a month and indeed this includes people fleeing both the Tanganyika province and the provinces of Kivu. Asylum seekers are facing a worrying situation including malnutrition and other challenges due to the very long distance they need to walk from their region being Tanganyika or Kivu up to Zambia. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa, Kinshasa. The third annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum Conference takes place in Cape Town, South Africa. The two-day event from the 5th to the 6th of October promises to ignite fundamental changes in Africa's socio-economic landscape. Channel Africa will be there to bring you the happenings live. Join us as we and the Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum push forward the economic empowerment of women who have historically been sidelined and disregarded in predominantly patriarchal and tribal societies. Listen to Channel Africa on the 5th and the 6th of October. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Let's go back in time to today in 2011. American diplomats lead a walkout at the UN General Assembly as Iran's President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad fiercely attacks the United States and major West European nations as arrogant powers ruled by greed and eager for military adventurism. That's today in history in the year 2011. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Significant shifts are underway in how Africa's entertainment and media companies compete and generate value as the quality of the experience they deliver to consumers becomes their primary basis for strategic differentiation and revenue growth. This is according to the Entertainment and Media Outlook 2017-2021, to an African perspective released yesterday by the professional services network PricewaterhouseCoopers. More from Vicky Myberg, entertainment and media industry leader for PricewaterhouseCoopers Southern Africa. So what we look at is we look at consumer and advertising spending across 14 segments, TV, radio, cinema, all of the E&M traditional segments. And we also look at five countries across Africa, so South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, and this year we've added Ghana and Tanzania just to get a more holistic view. And what would you say were the main findings? 
The main findings are the fact that growth is in fact slowing down in the E&M space and increasingly if companies want to take their share they need to actually focus on getting market share rather than on market expansion. So we've got certain industries doing very well, others not so well. So it's although you see a, a quite a good growth rate, it's a different tale for each segment. And which sectors are actually doing well in the entertainment space? So the fastest grower in terms of size and percentage would be internet access and that's because there's such high growth still to come even in South Africa although if you look at South Africa we're already at 52% mobile internet penetration so our fastest growth is now behind us. The other African countries, a lot of them are still in the teens, so they've got a huge amount of growth to come. The other area that's done very well is video games, and that's really actually on the back of mobile because it's created a whole new market. It's not a market that was there before because consoles, PCs were unaffordable actually for most people. So now your mobile phone has created a game out of all of us. And that's what's driving growth in that industry. So we see that growing at 15%, which is great in these times to grow double-digit rates. And generally, the radio space, what are the findings there? Radio remains fairly stable, and contrary to what many thought a few years back, that radio was sort of on its last legs, it's certainly not. And it remains in Africa a medium that reaches the vast majority of the population. Um, And with good content, good opinion talk shows good hosts it really is quite an attractive medium and radio is actually listened mostly in the home so it's not only on in your car so we see radio actually enduring and is certainly not um, forecast to be dying it'll it should grow close to four percent compound annual growth rate over the forecast period And does the Outlook offer any recommendations on how to grow this industry? So the Outlook, yes, it does. And what we focus on very much this year, which is the theme, is on the user experience. So one can focus on content and distribution, and those are very important and have been. But in the end, it's what the consumer wants. And the consumer increasingly doesn't want to get content at using five, six, seven clicks. They want one click to get the information and the content that they want. So it's really about businesses putting the fans at the center of their business and designing everything around that, getting themselves lean in all of the areas that don't add to the user experience, and then planning how to grow profitably and sustainably. And do you find that, based on the findings, is it across the board like that for all the countries that this outlook specifically targeted? Yes, there's some local um, stories as well. And the one story that's entirely across the board is the internet access story, which we see growing at double-digit rates across Africa. There's other areas that we see doing better in some industries than others. So, for example, radio in Kenya is extremely successful and shows very high growth rates, even in terms of the global average. And it really is a very popular medium for getting communications out there. So there are a lot of similarities. There are a lot of differences. We see a lot of pronounced trends. So video games, social and casual games in Africa is even more pronounced, the take-up of that, as compared to traditional video games. But a lot of the themes are the same. It's really about the consumer, and that doesn't change wherever you go in Africa.
And then I see here Nigeria is one of the fastest growing countries in the outlook. Why is it the fastest? Could this be attributed to the television space? Because we're seeing a lot of, you know, Nollywood movies on, on our TV channels. What could be the reason? This two interesting questions here. The first one is the main reason is the mobile internet penetration in Nigeria is currently at 13%, which is very low by global standards. And this is expected to grow at a huge rate in the next five years. So that's driving the double-digit growth rate. The Nollywood story is interesting because Nigeria's movies, the Nollywood industry, is second only to India in terms of the number of films that they produce. But a huge percentage of that is actually pirated. So the money doesn't flow in terms of the formal numbers that we report. So increasingly, they need to get that into the formal market to be able to monetize it. So even if you look at the number of cinema theaters in Nigeria, it's a very underserved population relative to the global um, environment. So the growth is actually coming from Internet access in Nigeria. That was Vicky Mayberg, entertainment and media industry leader at PricewaterhouseCoopers, Southern Africa, speaking to Channel Africa's Ntlanta Masang. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Good morning. South Africa's former finance minister, Pravin Gordon, and his former deputy, Mwebisi Jonas, have met with the KPMG's global chairperson, John Weimar, and other senior executives. The meeting follows the auditing firm's withdrawal of its report on the so-called rogue unit at the South African Revenue Services. Gordon and Jonas are demanding a full disclosure of the role various parties played and the way in which KPMG staff colluded in the processes. Eight KPMG executives have resigned. Vey Meha has apologized, saying the firm's South African branch made serious errors in judgment. South Africa's trade union AMCU has dismissed the suggestions that its long protracted industrial action in the mining industry has contributed to the current threats of job losses. AMCU's president Joseph Matunja says his union will not take the blame for something he terms beyond its control. Addressing the media in the capital Pretoria, Matunjwa said AMCU was doing everything in its power to prevent the looming job losses in South Africa's mining industry. The mining industry has been shedding jobs for a long time and this is not related to our five months long strike for a living wage. In sectors where there has been no strike, the companies continue to shed jobs, for instance in the gold sector. Anglo Gold Ashanti is sharing 8,500 jobs of which Sibanye is shedding about 7,400 jobs. 
and Bukoni Platinum is sharing more than 2,600 jobs. Stakeholders on Zambia's Copper Belt province have urged the government to raise the current local empowerment threshold from 20 to 40% to increase local participation in the execution of contracts. Government has concluded its Copper Belt pre-budget to private sector engagements with an assurance to move impediments hindering the private sector growth through various interventions. Association of Mining Suppliers and Contractors and Mufulira District Chamber of Commerce and Industry have said raising the local subcontracting threshold would increase participation of locals in the construction. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg says his company will share 3,000 Russia-linked political adverts with the U.S. investigators. The move to share details comes after considerable public pressure for Facebook to be more transparent and is being interpreted by some as an attempt to fend off any potential regulation from the U.S. government. Zuckerberg says in future, all such political advertising will carry disclaimers about which campaign or organization paid for it. He says Facebook is also working to uncover politically charged content in the run-up to Sunday's national elections in Germany. We've been working to ensure the integrity of the German elections this weekend. From taking action against thousands of fake accounts to partnering with public authorities like the Federal Office for Information Security to sharing security practices with the candidates and parties. We're also examining the activity of accounts we've removed, and we have not yet found a similar type of interference effort in Germany. Oil prices are mixed in early Asian trade as the market waits to see whether major oil producers would extend supply cuts beyond March at a meeting in Vienna later in the day. International benchmark Brent crude futures are at 56 to 35 US dollars a barrel. US West Texas intermediate crude futures are up 5 cents. The US dollar trades at 13.31 in South Africa. It's at 10.14 in Botswana and at 9.48 in Zambia. 0.73 to the British pound and 0.83 to the euro. Gold $1,297, platinum $940 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil $56.38 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with the athletics, that's marathon. With 21,500 entries received in just 21 days, the Comrades Marathon Association, CMA, has officially closed the 2018 Comrades Marathon entry process. CMA race director Ronwin James has advised that his unprecedented, this unprecedented demand for entry into the Comrades Marathon goes hand in hand with catering to our athletes' needs. That's what he says. He says, in line with their Runners First initiative, the CMA board found it imperative to increase the entry cap for the original 20,000 to 21,500. James says the CMA's sole focus in the athletes and meeting the needs of their participants on Comrades Race Day. 
And in rugby news, South African rugby side Bulls director of rugby, John Michel, is happy with the next year's Super Rugby fixtures, especially with his team having a handful of games before going on tour early in the competition. Michel says a lot of things are in their favour and they will need to make the best of it. The Bulls kick off their Super Rugby campaign against the Hurricanes after enjoying a bye in the first week of the competition. Yes, I have, yeah, no, very happy with uh, the schedule, yeah. It's, um, uh, you know, got a, got a bye in the first week, um, got a couple of games at home and then we, then we tour early, so the weather will be good um, down under. And uh, touring early is also good for the group as well. And you know, we're only away for three weeks, and we've got Friday night fixtures as well, which means we get home earlier. So yeah, there's a lot of things in the schedule that stack up. So the rest will be up to us. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what I can keep an eye on. Obviously, it's not a focus of the of the current group. Mm. Um, but I'm also use, using this competition as well to uh, um, to select for Super Rugby. Um, so I also always spend time during the week looking at what that Super Rugby squad mix will look like uh, going going forward. Michelle says Super Rugby tried to spread too quickly, but that Sansa will need to confront some commercial challenges if it is to have the best players in the Southern Hemisphere playing in the competition again. It's getting closer to common sense. I think uh, uh, we, we've probably spread the game too quickly. And um, if you look at the Northern Hemisphere... You know, the best players are all generally playing all the time. So if you look at the crowds, people will pay money for, for value, whereas we've fallen into the trap of uh, um, where our best players aren't always playing in front of our, uh, our audiences. So how can we expect value? Um, or how can, they, uh, how can they expect value? So to me, I think we've got some, uh, some dilemmas uh, and some challenges commercially to make sure that our, our best players... Um, are playing in front of our crowds when we when we do present our teams. On to boxing news. South Africa's East London boxing fans are in for a treat this weekend as local boxer Lusanda schoolboy Komanisi takes on Filipino Jack Tepora for the vacant WPO Intercontinental Featherweight title. It will be the main bout in a bill that features a number of supporting bouts including a Duncan Village derby between Lindile Slazer Tsozi Temesi and Yanga Shotansi Kribo for a South African title belt. Komanisi, who hails from Tanzania in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, says he is ready for the fight. First of all, this is the biggest fight of my career. I don't know much about him, but, uh, you know, as a champion, you have to be prepared for everything. You know, whether it's orthodox or southpaw or someone who switches, as a champion, you always have to be prepared for all of that. And I'm prepared. I'm from Tanzania. Boxer from Tanzania can handle anything. I can handle anything. Meanwhile, his opponent Jack Tapora has vowed to take the title home with him to the Philippines. And finally, with golf news, George Gutierrez and Jules Leighton, and uh, they will take a share of the lead into the second round of the Portugal Masters after firing seven under par rounds of 64 on day one at the Dom Pedro Victoria Golf Course. Leighton set the target in the morning and was then caught by Gutierrez with Italy's Nino Batazio, Frenchman Gregory Havre, Australian Jason Srivna, Englishman Callum Shinquin, and China's Ashun Wu at six under. Both players had been struggling for form of late, but with Leighton having a new driver in the bag and Gutierrez having recently spent some time back home, they found their stride in some style in Villamura. That's your sport news this time.
Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Taking us to the top of the hour for the news and another hour of Africa Rise and Shine on the frequency 15255 kHz on the 90-meter band to West Africa is Casper Nyovest featuring Huapili with a track titled Destiny. Broken, I got issues, but I've improved. Really had hope. My big heart was bulletproof. I was under the impression that people just engineer love. But lately, these are thoughts that I steer from. I lived a couple years without a tear job. I don't wanna die for love, like leave a steer come, but keep it safe. But you make me wanna risk it all. And I get a little sad when you miss my calls. And that's childish. I never act like this at all. I can't be catching feelings when there's so much other shit involved. Like how my niggas will react if I wiped you. Think my fans won't accept you, so I hide you. Hate that I have to lie to people and say I like you when I know that it's deeper than that. And this is my truth. I love what's inside you way more than your pretty face. I don't usually go on dinner dates. I prefer to stay at home, but you got me doing different things. And I'm really loving this exchange. I just need you to be patient. I'm getting down working on all my trust issues and my pride because you're worth it. I'm learning about commitment and turning down all the curses. I know buying you gifts don't make me a better person. You are, you are. Innocent like you ain't done some wicked sh- But I'm still here treating you like I'm your first Pretending that loving you can never hurt Like I ain't bothered when you party with my enemies But honestly I'm not as strong as I pretend to be You know how niggas be We like acting no tough when we know that deep down this shit's affecting me Looking for cute because I think I got shot with an arrow Love is risky so we choose to be safe and we settle Cause every secret that I tell you can turn into ammo Loyalty is rare as an AK and Casper collabo It's crazy cause we were done before I finished this I knew I never should have trusted that you innocent Cause now you're out here leaving me for a businessman How am I supposed to believe that you was genuine? I mean does he open the door for you like I do? Do you think that he will risk it all for you like I do? Would he get on his knees and change your title? In simple terms do you think that you would wife you? And maybe this is coming for my wrongs I know I broke a lot of women's hearts before 
I really thought that we would prove my niggas wrong, but they not. So we love and we learn. I used to think. You are, you are. 